Hello, what's up everybody? Welcome to Between Frets, a space where female musicians meet and discuss all things music. I'm your host, Jenny Jam, and again, I am here hosting another great podcast in our quarantine season three. Yes, we're still in quarantine, though some states have opened up. Now, I'm located in the D.C. area, so that's, we call it the DMV, which is D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So, so far, Virginia is going through their phase one, and they're opening up slowly. Maryland is following, so they got the parks and the outdoor activities open. They don't have everything. They haven't really gone into phase one, but I feel like shortly we'll probably be going into phase one. They've opened the beaches, which is good. So, but D.C. hasn't opened up yet, so we'll see. I know that around the nation, there's some states that are opening up. Just be safe, follow the guidelines. Let's get this country back and rolling again, right? So I usually don't introduce a guest until the end of my introduction, but I'm talking about her right now. You're hearing the music right now playing in the background. And I am so honored to introduce Gretchen Men as our next guest. What I loved about this episode is that we just had a great conversation about everything. And I've always been a huge fan of her music, of her playing, of her being in Zepparella because I'm a huge Zeppelin fan. So I've admired her for a long time. And just being able to talk to her, I just felt so comfortable. And she's so humble and inspiring and so knowledgeable. Oh man, just just listen to the podcast and see for yourself because I was just like so blown away by, by just everything about her. And I've come to admire her even more. And what's so great about her is that she was really, she was just really happy and gracious, you know, for the, for the episode. So she actually has a lot of friends in the industry, a lot of famous friends that she offered to have them be our guests for our podcast. And we were so blown away and so grateful. <laughs> we're going to have a Gretchen Men post to honor her for all the guests that you're going to be hearing coming up in the next two months. I'm telling you right now, the Fret Sisters are, we're going to give her our firstborn guitar, okay? <laughs> because she is the best. So I just want to make sure that you guys listen to this podcast and go into the show notes and support her. She'll be touring when, when quarantine is lifted, get her music. So I just wanted to let you guys know that. And thank you for listening. Thank you for being there with us. We want to make sure that you have content for this quarantine time. We want everybody to stay safe. So here we go. Coming up is Gretchen Men. Yay, peace and love. good people this is Nicole Rose one of the founders of the Fret Sisters we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast you can also follow us on other social media outlets you can follow us on Instagram Facebook and YouTube at Fret Sisters and again we thank you for listening
everyone, this is Jenny Jam, and on today's episode, we have a special, special guest. Yes, she is a guitarist, composer, and rapidly gaining praise in the world of instrumental rock and beyond. Her music, as described in Guitar Player Magazine, is a blend of jazz, prog, and world music influences. And she is also the lead guitarist for Zepparella, an all-female Led Zeppelin tribute band. From progressive to jazz to rock to classical, her music incorporates an array of styles. Everyone, please welcome Gretchen Men. Yay! <laughs> you are so sweet. Can you introduce me for everything, please? Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, I am, well, first of all, I'm a huge Zeppelin fan, and then I am a fan of yours, just Aww. separately as a guitarist. So yes, Fret Sisters wants to thank you for taking your time, especially through this crazy time that we're at. Um, how are you doing in this time <laughs> of quarantine? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be part of it. And I am doing fine. Um, I, I really can't complain. I'm in quarantine with my husband, who is an amazing guitar player and my best friend, and my two cats and all of my guitars, well, most of my guitars, and plenty to study and work on. So if it, you know, I'm conscious of the fact that we're facing an international crisis, so that, you know, that's not a good reason for it all to be happening, but I'm trying to make good use of the time. Yes, yes, yeah. For musicians in general, it's been kind of like a thing where it's like you have the time now to do certain things or maybe work on, you know, stuff that you've needed to work on. And then, yeah, well, really for everybody too. just you're right. It's just been really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can certainly feel even if like for those of us who I feel like are doing OK, you, you can feel like the collective consciousness, like it's a time of incredible stress and strife and just surreal feeling in the world. So it's not to say that my, my emphasizing how fine I'm doing means that I don't, that I'm not acutely aware of just, you know, yeah. what a stressful time this is for so many people. Yeah, definitely. But we keep our podcast going and we have great guests like you. So again, thank you for taking your time. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so let's get right into it. We always like to know at Fret Sisters and Between Frets, let our listeners know how the guitarist came about. What, what made you pick up that guitar? What made you get into music and become the artist that you are now? Mm. Well, music was always just part of my family. Like, it was just always around. We had a piano when I was growing up. I had the requisite piano lessons. I played flute for a couple of years in elementary school. And I think I I gravitated towards the guitar because that was, it was so featured in the music that I had become interested in. And so um, once I got more into rock music, guitar, uh, actually I was kind of between guitar and drums for, for a little bit there. I, I really liked the drums as well, but we had a guitar at the house. And it just, um, what sealed the deal for me was seeing Eric Johnson. Mm. So that's, that was what got me started. Yeah, Eric Johnson. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it's a good first influence, right? <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> yeah. I actually saw him live one time and I was pretty blown away. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty magical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, with the family, were there any, were, did you come from a musical family? 
I kind of know the background of your family. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say an artistic family with an appreciation for music. My dad is a writer and when I was a small child, he was at Guitar Player magazine. Um he was um one of the writers, editors, um did various things there. But as a kid, I didn't really associate him with the with the the instrument. It was more like I knew he worked at a magazine. And so it was once I got into it kind of on my own, which I people have such a hard time believing that, you know, they didn't get shoved into something because your parents were sort of affiliated with a, a part of it. Mm-hmm. But it was when I got into it on my own that my dad was like, "Uh, honey, I know a little bit about this. Like if you like Led Zeppelin, you should also check out Jeff Beck. And if you're liking, you know, Steve Vai and Joe Satriani, like you really should know Eric Johnson and uh Steve Morse." And so it was more like that once I got into it, like I had a really knowledgeable person in my family who was happy to point me in the right direction. That is that is so great when you have family, you know, family there to like support you and kind of make you love the music even more. I think that's Yeah. Great. I think I mean though sometimes I I, I don't want to say I envy. I I wonder what it would be like if I had, you know, had like a professional musician or somebody who was really actively playing the instrument, but what I thought was also kind of nice about it is that it was something that my family they were supportive but also they weren't too much up in my business about it either it was like there was i could have quit and that would have been fine or i could have continued and that would have been fine too so it was mm-hmm. like i i sort of got to figure out for myself what it meant to me and and how much of my life it was going to encompass yeah were you self-taught or did you go take lessons or go to a university Um all of the above. Yes. Oh. Um, I mean, I I guess I feel like so much of learning really is being self-taught and yet at the same time everybody has teachers and whether those teachers are people you actually go and sit down with in a formal setting or whether they're family members or whether they're just mentors or or just other musicians who you watch and you listen to and you and you learn that way. Um so uh, I did go to college and ended up graduating with a degree in music and I felt like that just started kind of the whole process. I had um a, an amazing classical guitar teacher named Philip Defremery. In fact, I just spoke with him the other day. We we stay in touch and he's um really an, a truly gifted not just player but teacher. Wow, that's awesome. He uh he's a yeah, classical teacher and um and he was a student of uh, Segovia, so whoa. Uh, I, I he yeah. Pretty, pretty awesome lineage, though. Though a part of me always feels kind of guilty that I didn't fully and with great focus pursue classical guitar. But my interests have always been so diverse that I couldn't give up the other interests I had. So I just try to juggle everything. <laughs> mm, that's awesome. Now I kind of read your bio, and I read that you actually flew planes. Or yeah. talk about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, the- I've always known like I, I I was you know ever since I was a kid the music industry was like in the toilet so it was never like I didn't have the dreams that some of say like my heroes did of like I'm going to grow up and be a rock star it was like I'm going to grow up and I'm going to play possibly in tiny clubs for a handful of people and really enjoy doing it <laughs> so that mm-hmm. was like so I knew it was a bad financial decision and I was fine with that um but I also didn't want to be a drain on my family or freak out my parents too much by choosing something to do in life that seemed really irresponsible given the 
you know, I have such a great family. Like, I didn't want to be like, hi, I'm going to take everything you taught me and just completely disregard it. So um, I decided to study what I loved in college because I knew that even if I went on to get like um, to, to graduate school or something like that, that what I did for undergraduate really didn't make that big of a difference. It was like, I just should study what I wanted to study unless I was really clear what I wanted to do. And that was part of the path. But it turned out that I was such a nerd in high school that when I got to college, they determined that that I had had enough advanced placement credits, which are like kind of college level classes you can take in high school, mm -hmm. um, that I had enough of those to graduate a year early from college. And I was like, uh, well, okay, cool. I'm down to not have another year of student loans to pay off. So that seemed like a great idea until it seemed like I was out of college in the blink of an eye. And I was like, whoa, wait, what am I going to do? And like, what am I going to do for work and a career and everything? And I could have gone back and um, studied classical guitar more seriously, which I was very tempted to do because I really, really loved it. But I also thought, well, I see so many musicians who don't seem to love music the way I do. Like they, they, they're jaded or they're bitter or they don't really, they just seem to be kind of be doing it, but like with this terrible attitude. I'm like, I don't ever want to become like that. I want to keep loving music. And I thought, well, if I can just, if I just keep what's special about it and not worry about it becoming more, like just follow it as a true love as opposed to as a job, then then maybe I can just keep loving it. Maybe I can protect my passion for it. And so I thought, well, if I get, if I do something else, then I can do music on my own terms. And flying was something that was just kind of a fun interest for me. I had taken a couple of lessons just very, you know, capriciously when I was in college, but you know, I couldn't afford to, to do more than just like the little introductory flights. And, and yet when I thought, well, wait a minute, I can't justify this as an expensive hobby, but I, it certainly could be a justifiable second career. And so out of, I found out that um, you get through, high, uh, through flight school in about a year if you did it really seriously and then start instructing right away. And so I decided to do that as a way of just making money responsibly and having this other career that didn't like drain me of my will to live. Cause I had like, I had worked at a bar, I had worked at, like in retail and it was just soul sucking and I would come home and I didn't even want to practice. And so I thought, well, this at least will be an interesting challenge that'll mm -hmm. maybe not have me come home feeling like a zombie. So, um, so I did that to pay off my student loans and to gain a skill that seemed to be valuable and to help other people you know, most people, if they're going in for flight lessons, it's a dream of theirs, you know, and to, mm -hmm. to help people achieve or start to achieve one of their dreams is like really rewarding, a lot more rewarding than like, you know, passing out the cues and the balls for pool tables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nothing against it, but you know, I'm sure, yeah. sure somebody's having a great time doing it. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it kind of gave me, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like Iron Maiden. <laughs> oh, right. Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> yeah. Well, was it? Co it wasn't commercial, or was commercial? Airlines? I believe he did. I, I mean, yeah. I could be wrong. He was like he did. He was like a commercial airliner pilot or something. So uh -huh. I kind of like, kind of like had that in my mind when I read that. I was like, oh, <laughs> when you go out on tour, you have your own plane. Yeah. I would love that, and in fact, my band would probably love that too. But the, what what you learn doing it is that the the expenses to own and to operate a plane are so much more than wow. just like buying plane tickets, even something really small, not to mention yeah. just like now learning how little rest you get on the road. 
But I mean, I know like a Steve Morris, who's one of my heroes. He he did that. He actually has his own plane. He used to fly the Dixie Dregs to gigs, which wow. is so impressive considering just how like like that's the time that normally you're sleeping or resting or recharging. But um, God, I didn't I didn't know that about about them. I love yeah? Steve Morris too. I, oh God, yeah. yeah. I saw him open up for Joe Satriani. To, Joe oh, Satriani really? is like. Yes, I love him. Oh. But <laughs> they're both amazing, right? Come I on. know, I know. <laughs> so many amazing guitar players. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, having um, the the job, the money. Actually, it's like you know, kind of like your money maker, and then you're doing you're doing music. Were you playing in like bands at that time, or did you have like mm-hmm. a experience gig experience while you were doing that? Uh, I was so. I got out of college, and because I got out so early, it's like I had this degree that I felt like I had barely. I mean, like I did all my classes, I did the work, but I felt like such a new musician still. And so I kind of wanted to get that experience under my belt. So I was concurrently flight instructing, and that was when I got into my first serious band, which was an ACDC tribute band called ACDC, and started kind of hit the ground running on the gigs because they were a band that had existed before and existed after me. But we we had gigs booked like basically the second I joined. Wow. Um, yeah. So we did that. Got you know stayed pretty busy doing that. Then Zapparella, which was really my second serious band, started. And once those things got so busy, um, I had to just little by little scale back the flight instructing because it's just not really fair to students to. Um, to, to enlist them and then not to be quite available to, to fly with them. You know, mm. you, you need to build each lesson on, on the one previously and people spend a lot of money getting their licenses. And so, you know, unless I could really commit to being somebody's teacher, it wasn't ethical of me to just do it just to get a little extra money here and there. Yeah, yeah. Going into the tribute bands when you did join ACDC, <laughs> Am I saying that right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, first, and then, you know, because you were Angus Young, right? Yeah. Was that, was yeah. that your, your persona? Agnes Go, Young, yes. Agnes, Agnes, did I say that right? <laughs> Ag, Ag. Well, Angus is the boy Angus, name. that's it. And so I was Agnes. We had feminized oh. alter ego versions. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, Bonnie that Scott funny. and, you know. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome. <laughs> so you went from playing ACDC music to mm-hmm. Zeppelin music, mm-hmm. which two different styles, Jimmy Page, Angus Young, mm-hmm. going into like the tribute, playing trib- in a tribute band. I mean, this is probably like a three-part question. It's sure. playing two different guitar styles, playing in a tribute band versus cover band versus original, and then how it inspired you like playing somebody else's guitar parts versus playing your own stuff Mm -hmm. you know what I mean sure yeah yeah well so for me the tribute band thing was was great for a lot of reasons um one is you get a lot of experience right away because it's a band that's bookable you know the business of it is simply that if you you tell a venue we're five girls playing ACDC. They know what they're going to get. They know how to promote that. They know how to build that. And people understand that. You know, you look on a calendar and you're like, oh, all-girl ACDC tribute band. That sounds like fun. You know what I mean? It's a lot different than trying to describe your own original music. So there is the the ease of just booking a band like that. And for me, Mm -hmm. I was very interested in just getting some road time, some, some stage time. 
you know, to not be somebody who was like overeducated, but with zero experience, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was really appealing to me. And also when it's your own music, it's very easy to get kind of precious about it. Whereas playing ACDC, you're like, your inner 15 year old is just headbanging, right? <laughs> you yes. know, so there is something that's fun. And, and also cutting your teeth, I don't want to say like anonymously, but kind of anonymously. You know, these are my first couple years on stage. Like I was messing all sorts of stuff, you know, like anybody does. Like you, you get on stage and like you're figuring stuff out for a bit. Doesn't mean that, you know, that you haven't done your homework, but it's a, it's a different set of skills. So I like that. And, and the way I see it is it's paid education. We learn our languages imitatively. And why not imitate the greats, the ones you love, the ones that made you want to play your instrument as part of informing your own creative vocabulary? And coming from a background um, in classical guitar, I was not afraid to sit down and put in the time to really, really, really learn stuff. Which, which served me well. I mean, when people show up and they want to hear a classic song to show that you've put in the time to really, really try to learn it as best you can, even if you're less experienced, I think people can um, at least appreciate that, you, uh, that you've put in that effort and that you're, you're, that you're really trying to respect the songs by, by having studied them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's actually a good word right there, pay, the paid education mm. and learning. I think you're right when you're sitting down. It's like, it is, like you said, a challenge. Mm -hmm. Sitting down, learning someone's guitar solo note for note, and just kind of challenging yourself. And, and then the failure, that's, that's so like, that's so real. And I guess some musicians are, it's hard for them to admit, but when you do admit it, it's like, it's not really a failure failure because you know it's, it's something you got to work on, right? Right. Well, I mean, we learn nothing from successes. Failure is the yeah. only learning experience that we really get, right? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. hopefully we don't have to be too public or too egregious with our failures. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes those are the ones that leave the biggest impressions. I, I swear the times that I've most embarrassed myself, myself are the times that most kick me in the butt to really try a different strategy or to really focus on something that it wasn't that I was maybe lazy about something, but we all have our blind spots. And mm -hmm. when something you've been kind of choosing not to look at is right in front of your face and you feel like a real idiot, boy, does that make you a, a better player having to confront the, the weak areas. Mm -hmm. So going into like playing ACDC music into Zepparella, mm -hmm. or into Zeppelin, <laughs> excuse me, not Zepparella, Zepparella is a tribute band. Mm -hmm. But going into those two different styles, what did it teach you, I guess, about the guitarist? Because Angus Young, he's got like this rhythmic kind of, he's, he's got a style of his own. Yeah. And people think it's so simple, but it really isn't. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then you have, you know, Jimmy Page, which most of the music that he wrote, you know, he's more, I, I think of him more like the studio cat. Like mm -hmm. he goes in there and dubs, overdubs, does a lot of guitars. Mm -hmm on his stuff. He also writes really good stuff. So it's like you got those two different styles. Yeah. It's been so great just studying. Oh my God, it's so much fun. And, and even now there've been times that like, why, well, you know, I was really deep into ACDC for two years. And now mm -hmm. it's like, there've been a couple times that I've had the opportunity to go back and relearn it. You know, now as a musician, you know, more than 10 years since I was playing that stuff. And hopefully, I mean, for, for sure I've grown as a musician. 
to go back and revisit it now, there's all these other things I appreciate about it. You know, I feel like the great musicians, the the longer you play, the more you can appreciate about them.、Mm-hmm. You know, even if say you hear their little moments of humanity, maybe you, maybe your ear develops and you can hear like, oh, that that was a weird little. Thing there, or you know, maybe by by today's standards, we would have gone back and you know done another take or something like that. But then you have this greater appreciation for just how cool it was, or just how how beautiful the writing was, or just how perfect that tone was, or whatever.、Mm-hmm. Um, and for anybody who's ever been dismissive of Angus, though, I feel like most people I hang with wouldn't be so ridiculous as to have this argument. But for anybody who even tries it, I'm like, you play what he's playing while doing what he's doing, and get back to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right.、Mm-hmm. So let's get into your solo work.、Mm-hmm. Now, I did listen to both your albums、Aww. in full. Oh, yes. So I just want to make sure I have the title of Hail Souls. Yes. Is that、mm-hmm. yes? Very guitar driven,、mm-hmm. and it's so modern and full of all these techniques. Like you do acoustic, electric, and I just have to say, your style is so clean, and all of it—you know, dirty, clean—you know, acoustically, the the music is so clean. And then I go into abandon all hope, <laughs> and we're talking orchestra. Con- it's real conceptual, I guess.、Mm-hmm. When I was listening to it,、yeah. the compositions. And instrumentation, and there's violin,、mm-hmm. which I wanted to ask about. Like, where these are two different. Well, they're kind of the same. Like, I could almost hear a similar style, but、mm-hmm. they're different. Can you talk about? Sure.、It? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much it means to me to have you know people listen, listen with open ears.、Um, so, Hail Souls was my first album, and that came about really because I felt like I. Needed to get something out,、um, and it was right around the time that I had just started working with some different companies, like on endorsements, like Demarzio, my pickup company, had just done this whole photo shoot and stuff with me, which was really amazingly cool.、Um, a couple magazine features and everything, and while I was certainly and continue to be、um, honored to be part of Zapparella, like the band is a wonderful band.、It's Clementine, our the drummers, it was her vision. She gave me the gig when I was totally unqualified. Like I owe her so much. And at the same time, being pigeonholed as a tribute band musician, if if you have other stuff, if you have if you're somebody who writes or whatever, it doesn't feel like you're putting forth、uh, a complete picture of who you are artistically. And because I realized that with having kind of these different places putting. Me like you know on this page or this website or whatever, I felt the need to to at least make a statement of this is what I do outside of some of these other things. And otherwise, I think I don't know. It would have taken so long to do my first instrumental album because I feel like you automatically compare yourself to Steve Vai and Joe Satriani and Steve Morse, and and I would not have felt ever ready.、Um, so I think the fact that The circumstances kind of kicked me in the butt to just be like, you know what? This is a moment in time. This is the musician you are now. Just do the best you can, and you will learn. You will become a better musician by doing this first album. So I approached it like that, and I, of course, I gave it my all. I did my best. I still really enjoy playing those songs live.、Um, 
and a lot of it was me just kind of finding, you know, my first, my first musical utterances um, as a as a writer of music. Because when I listened to um, your second one, I guess it's abandon all hope. Abandon all hope. Yeah. I notice just the different timings and stuff, and just the writing. I don't want to say it's complicated, but it's definitely something where it's not like you're like, yeah, let me put the chord structure together. <laughs> it just seemed like, I mean, how did all like? Do you play violin, by the way? I don't, but you know what? You're the second person to ask me that today. Okay, I'm so flattered when people ask me that. <laughs> I wish because I it sounds like, yeah, because it just sounds like if you were. If, you know the guitar your guitar style and stuff it sounds like that would if you played the violin that style from what I heard mm. sounds like you playing that you know what I mean like how you um, would play on guitar well th- first of all thank you that I consider that a very high compliment um I do <laughs> love the violin I love the viola I love the cello I just love the sound of those stringed instruments and um so for that album for abandon all hope that was basically the concept was pitched to me by Michael Melenda, who is the editor of Guitar Player Magazine. And I had known him. It's funny because when my dad was at Guitar Player, he ended up leaving, like I said, before I started playing guitar. It had gotten bought out. There was all sorts of, you know, there isn't always, you know, imagine somebody, like a whole team pours all of their blood, sweat, and tears into a concept, gets bought by another company, and everybody gets fired. Does Mm -hmm. the new group of people and the old group of people get along, or maybe not so much? You know, like, Mm -hmm. common sense would say that, um, that the, I mean, there was nothing between my dad and Michael Melinda. Michael was, like, a couple steps removed. But the point being that I was very out of touch with guitar player. I, I knew the guys there from when I was, like I said, a really little kid. But then um, a common friend, Jude Gold, who is also at Guitar Player and who played on my first album, he's the second guitar on the song um, Fast Crowd, the second um, acoustic guitar. Um, He kind of introduced me to Michael Melinda and Michael heard Hail Souls and basically said, let's let's get together. I have a something like a business idea I want to pitch to you. And I sort of assumed that I was going to hear what I've heard many many times, which is you should sing and you should play, you know, more popularly appealing music. And then, you know, more people will know who you are. And then I always have to explain that my goal was not to have as many people know me as possible, but to make music that I felt like I wanted to make. And, you know, wherever that lands, great. And instead, we sat down and he pulls out the sheet of paper and basically he said, I think you can do more. Like, I don't think you need to be just doing kind of typical instrumental guitar albums. And he's like, I heard this, I heard something in your first album that made me think you could do something more conceptual, more cinematic, more like orchestrated. And he hands me uh, Dante's Inferno, A Journey in 11 Different Musical Moods. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. That's exactly what I'm going to do because I've always had this love of literature as well. I was almost an English and music double major. And like I said, I come from, if anything, a family of writers. And my first album, Hail Souls, is named after one of my favorite quotes of uh, about guitar, a Shakespeare quote from Much Ado About Nothing. And it says... Now divine air, now his soul is ravished. Is it not strange that sheep's guts should hail souls from men's bodies? 
And so I've always loved the idea of giving instrumental music, I don't know, something, blending it with something literary as well to, to let it be still open to the imagination, but, but to suggest um, other stories behind it, you know, should people want to do it. I do think music still needs to, you know, stand on its own, but, but I love seeing how much I could intertwine the two. And I was thinking about doing that anyway for the, for the next mm -hmm. album. But, uh, so, so when Michael handed me that, it felt so just completely like, right. And, and yet I mm -hmm. knew that even though I had studied some composition in, uh, in college, I had written some stuff for string quartet, you know, but very, very basic first student efforts, <laughs> but still I had tried. Um, so I knew that if I'm going to be tackling something as epic as like Dante's Inferno, like I needed to really take everything to the next level, like, which I wanted to mm -hmm. do anyway, but it gave me a really clear direction. I knew I was going to need to study composition more deeply. I knew I wanted to dive into studying other effective conceptual works for me. So like, like the Rite of Spring by, you know, Stravinsky or e even other modern stuff, you know, uh, more modern stuff like, you know, Pink Floyd, um, uh, obviously Dark Side of the Moon, but some, some other conceptual albums. There's a great one, Amused to Death, uh, that Jeff Beck played on. Um, and just really looking at what, what made uh, concept albums hang together and yet tackling something like Dante, it's like, of course I need to dive into deeper into counterpoint. And therefore, you know, if I'm going to be incorporating classical instruments, really learning how to write for that instrument, not just being a guitar player that's like, hey, I wrote this on guitar, you play it cello, but really understand the ranges of the instruments, the nuances of the different tones of each string, you know, what is playable, what is not playable, and trying to really learn some of the concepts of orchestration. So I spent a good couple of years, uh, more than that, working with teachers, uh, studying stuff online, finding, um, looking at scores, you know, everything from Mozart string quartets to Ravel string quartets to, you know, different symphonic works and just really trying to get my mind around what, how to write effectively for instruments that were not my own. To write serving a concept, <laughs> or, you know, to write to a concept. You know, I mean, when um, now that I hear like where this kind of came from and like kind of like the background of it, I mean, what an accomplishment because that's got to be just so hard to like, you're going to write like the violin, the the strings, you know, you're going to write all these separate parts. I mean, that, what a huge accomplishment oh. to like do something like that. I mean, what? big props. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you. I mean, that means, that means a lot to me. It, I, I think what was helpful was um, there's so much great information and if if anybody wants, like if you want to do something and you're patient enough to actually put in the time and recognize that, you know, not to try to take shortcuts, but to really put in the time, you can have good results. And if other people can and have learned it, so can you, you just have to invest the time. And so it's like, if you want to learn to write well for string quartet, of course you can. And there are so many resources available to, to help that process. Um, and so I'm really glad I learned so much doing that that album, so much. And did you did you write the sheet music out mm -hmm. for like the yeah. the play? Whoa, mm -hmm. that is so awesome! Gosh, well, man, <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome. 
it would be so cool if you like had like a synopsis or like kind of like a one page kind of thing, like a case study oh. or something, <laughs> you know? That would be so cool to find out like how the background of like a, how a writer approaches like a composition or something. I just think that's so intriguing, but definitely the coolest thing I've heard. Oh, you're sweet. <laughs> well, it was really fun. In fact, if there's anything that, you know, whether or not anybody's interested in, you know, that particular ensemble or even writing for classical instruments, what I totally would suggest to anybody who writes music is writing to serve a concept is so creatively, like just, it just blows new doors open on things because like, for instance, the, the second piece on the album, uh, Limbo was like, mm-hmm. that was something that hundred percent would never, I never would have written it had I not had to sit there and work out the conceptual problem of, okay, if the basis if the most reduced basis of Western tonal music is tension and resolve, how do you write a piece that maintains tension that doesn't get resolved, but still feels like it is a piece of music? You know, it's not like I'm just going to sit there on the same tense chord for three minutes and be like, there's my piece of music. Like it still needs to have some sort of sense of musical, like it needs to still feel musically satisfying. And so to try to scratch my head and say, how do I keep this piece in limbo, but still let it feel like a, that it went, that the music moves and that it went somewhere was a terrific problem to try to unravel and push me into new creative territory that whether it's that or anything else you want to challenge yourself with, trying to write in service of a concept is, I just couldn't recommend it more highly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By the way, I did love your piece called Beast. Oh, cool. Yeah, just because it had like kind of like a heavy kind of rock. Not yeah. rock, but like a heavy rock, hard rock or yeah. something, you know? Like you hear all this orchestra stuff and then bam. Yeah. <laughs> You're into some, you know, really good. What does the Beast sound like, right? I mean, it's got to be <laughs> yeah. nasty. Exactly. And I did. I, I was able to really feel a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, let's get into your um, instruments, because both these albums, you know, you have an array of tones and sounds and techniques. You know, I would love for you to talk about like your, your go-to rig, your instruments, your endorsements, you know, on top of that. Yeah, yeah, of um, course. Yeah. So my main, my main guitar for my original music is um, a Music Man Silhouette Special. And that's what I use both for Hail Souls and Abandon All Hope in, in the mo- for the most part, um, for, for the solid body, you know, uh, electric stuff. And that's got um, a DiMarzio single coil pickups, and that was used all over the place. I did, and, and I have a few Music Man guitars, um, quite a few actually, now that I'm looking around. <laughs> I also have a Cutlass. I've got my first guitar was a Music Man Silhouette. And then I have another silhouette special and I have a Music Man Majesty, which is the John Petrucci signature that I'm shy to bring out and play in front of people because I don't want to invite comparisons that will ultimate. There's no way they could be flattering. I mean, it's John Petrucci's signature. Like there's no, there, there's no better guitar player than John Petrucci. There are people who are, you know, who you could argue they are also in the, the upper echelon of awesomeness. But um, but it's a great sounding guitar and I do use it for like, um, I've used it for recording some guest solos. Um, 
but back to the album. So uh, Abandon All Hope uh, was also primarily on the Silhouette Special for anything electric, with the exception of I used the Les Paul for the riff of the first track, Shadows. So that that main kind of heavy guitar riff, that's on a Les Paul. Same with Beast is all on the Les Paul. And Mm, Tunes is also on a Les Paul. Um, And I didn't want to play, honestly, I didn't want to play Tunes on a Les Paul. it's it was like I wrote it on the silhouette. I wanted to play it on a silhouette, but when it came time, I did my guitar tracks after I attract everything else, like all of you know the bass drums and then violins, everything. And when it came down to what sounded better in the mix, I had to play it on on the Les Paul. But a lot of it, like the techniques, the sweeping, the tapping, that stuff that I just don't really associate with doing on a Les Paul. Like I'll I'll do it, and I did it, but you know that was one where tone absolutely made made the announcement of what what we were going to be uh what instrument mm-hmm. i was going to be using for the acoustic stuff i have a steven strom um steel string acoustic and also uh, a santa cruz guitar company om steel string what do you hear those on a uh, fast crowd of hail souls that was on the mm-hmm. oh and actually also the song is it not strange that has two two acoustics or three acoustics and one electric it's sort of like an acoustic guitar quartet so uh yeah the steven strom the santa cruz uh and then my classical guitar is a kenny hill classical Mm -hmm. and then i also have a a sadowski nylon string electric which you can hear on a hellward swoon um i got that one between um that was one that i got after doing hell souls so that that one isn't on hell souls and then for amps Mm -hmm. What I do is uh, what I did is I'm um, a fan of reamping, which just say uh, cuts down on studio time. So what I do is I do the the tracking at home through a tone that's as similar as possible to what I imagined the final one would be, and then I bring all my amps to a studio, get real productions up in San Francisco, and then we we take the direct line that I've run, and and then we basically audition tones, and I think that for both of those. Uh, the main amp we ended up using was that my Engel Special Edition 670 uh, with the L34s. Mm. Uh, for um, except for the clean stuff, uh, excuse me, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> except for the clean <laughs> stuff, um, that was done. I have a, an old Fender, a '66 uh, Fender Deluxe Reverb. Oh, yes. nice. <laughs> so yes. that comes out only for recordings. I don't bring it out otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Um, But I use, um, right now for amps, I've also been really loving uh, 2Rock. That's what I've been using pretty much for all my live stuff, both with Zepparella and my my individual project, my my trio. Although I still like the angle as well. And recently, Lainey sent me a couple of amps that are gorgeous sounding as well. Um, There's one that's called the Ironheart um, that I'm really excited to try because it's like a little, it's like super small. It's like 10 pounds. Like you could put it in your carry-on luggage. It's got preamp tubes but then a solid state um, power section and so that's to me preferable to have something that I'm used to for fly-in gigs since I don't get to necessarily mm-hmm. just bring my two rock with me on a plane and then also the Eleni like a the, the Lionheart the 20 watt one by 12 that sounds fantastic I've just done a couple videos with it um, with just the clean sound is beautiful so is that enough gear 
my gosh. Yeah, that it sounds like you have a playground there. I have so much gear. I mean, I love it. I'm super grateful. And I, I mean, then there's other stuff, great pedals and things like that. But I, I don't want to. Oh yeah. I don't yeah. want to overdo it with the gear talk unless you think people really want to hear every single thing I use. <laughs> we know we're in quarantine, and of mm-hmm. course you, we're stuck at home and everything. But when there wasn't quarantine. Yeah. What what do you like to do besides music? Like, is there you know a ho- another kind of hobby besides flying? Things? Oh, well, you know, I haven't been flying for a while. Um, yeah, oh, okay. uh, there's. I mean, I love reading. Um, I always try to get some exercise. Like, I love you know yoga, and a lot of times my cardio time is my book reading time. So, like, I'll get on the elliptical machine, and right now I'm reading. I always have like, gosh, probably about five books going at any given time. Um. But there's so much I'm interested in. I really love like sciencey st- stuff. I would say like I'm a total dilettante, but I really do love it. I'm reading a book right now called like Why We Sleep. Anything that involves neurology, like sign me up, especially if it has to do with like music and learning. And, um, anything that's true crime, yes. I've read the book about Ted Bundy by Anne Rule, The Stranger Beside Me. <laughs> yeah. Great book. By the I read that. Have you read it? I read that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you like it? Yes, oh my yes. God, uh, crazy, right? That was it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But pr- That's so Criminology, awesome. <laughs> I'm down with all of that. I mean, honestly, it's like, I feel like I'm hard-pressed. Every time I think I'm not interested in something, if I actually read a book about it, then I'm interested in it. Like, I read this book um, called The Flash Boys. It's about, like, like high-frequency trading, you know, and I'm, by Michael Lewis. Mm. And I just, like, I liked his podcast. You know, Malcolm Gladwell, who I love, recommended the Michael Lewis podcast. And then I was like, Oh, I'll try reading a book. And so I ended up reading a book about high frequency trading or, you know, and mm. I'm like, I'm not interested in the stock market at all. Or so I thought, but the book was really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to, I'll, I'll probably look at that. Too. I kind of feel like if something's written well, and if it's written by somebody who's genuinely into the subject, it's almost always interesting. Right now I'm also reading one yeah. called like Uh, black holes and other songs from outer space and it's about like the detection of gravitational waves and the history of that so and it's really beautifully written so i don't know wow now i know where your head's at when you write (laughs) (laughs) i mean just because of what you read oh that's that's wild (laughs) but do you have any um other music that you're working on or that that's going to be coming out and of course and also after quarantine we know that everything you know has been postponed Any, any, uh, any tours to yeah. anything? Gosh, so much got canceled. I was, I was coming up to like two insanely, two or three insanely busy months. So I had a Zeparella tour get canceled. I had this really big event that I was going to be playing and I was excited about that get postponed. Um, I had a, a week in Germany. I was going to be teaching a master class and then playing with my trio that got canceled or postponed until next year. So, you know, I could sit here and get all bummed about the stuff I'm not doing, or I can see this as a wonderful opportunity to really sit down and write, which is something I've been feeling has been very difficult to do with all of the gigging and traveling that I typically do. So I've been writing like a maniac. And I think that's part of why I'm so totally happy in quarantine is like, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I'm just going crazy with the writing and the composing and um, the album that I've been working on which is going to now be for solo guitar like you saw there was kind of a shift between hail souls and abandon all hope it's like as much as i do like continuing to 
to incorporate the classical instruments with the modern instruments, I was also interested in writing something that was in shifting gears um, and also in really applying some of what I learned about more uh, about deeper composition to my home instrument and see what I could do with that. And also from a practical perspective of having an album of stuff that was performable because the, the biggest bummer with an album like Abandon All Hope is unless you're independently wealthy, like there's no, it's like you can't afford to even rehearse the musicians and there's no way mm -hmm. that I'm going to perform an album like that with backing tracks because the guitar is just one part of the ensemble. I mean, it's not a guitar mm -hmm. album. The guitar certainly has a a key role in it, but like, how could I do that album without the, the first violinist, you know? How could I do it without the, the other instruments? So, um, so it's not to say that it will never happen, but I was very interested. I am interested in having an album that is new that I can also perform live by myself. So that's what I'm working mm. on now. Well, we can't wait to oh, hear it. Thank you. When it all can, and, and you say that you have a trio, yes. so does your trio perform a lot? Like, when, yeah, well, I mean, you know what not, I mean? Uh, I shouldn't say a lot. We did, okay, so Thomas Perry is the drummer and Anna Pfeiffer is the bass player. And we do stuff, um, a lot of stuff from my first album, from Hell Souls. Um, and we also did a, a few dates and unfortunately had to postpone some other ones um, as mm -hmm. part of a um, basically a, a tour with. Jennifer Batten. Um, yeah, <gasps> I oh know. That's what I said too. <laughs> Jennifer Batten wow. and Neely Brosh. Um, Neely's a really good Ooh. friend of mine, and we've yes. been friends for years. Um, and we just thought, let's let's do this. And we're like, okay, we we should have a third guitar player on it. Who should we invite? And we're like, well, obviously we have to at least ask Jennifer first, even though like she's the godmother of us all like we didn't think she was going to say yes but she did so we didn't even get to item two on our list of who we might invite so we did wow. um, a few shows together we have some others booked but now they're going to be postponed but that's something i'm looking mm -hmm. forward to so my i play with my trio for that as well and like mm -hmm. the thing in germany was going to be with it and um yeah so we, yeah, we play. Well, I'm definitely we getting play the, not as much as Zephyr, but we play. <laughs> well, um, when that when it all comes comes about, I'm gonna get a ticket oh, for that. Where, where are you based? Yeah, that's a, well, I'm in okay. DC, so I'm in the in the well, East Coast. Well, we were actually gonna play so. not that far. Um, well, Zeppelin had a show in DC that was postponed, but we. Um, my trio was gonna be playing in uh, Pennsylvania. I know that some people came from oh. DC to that. Um, like some some student. Uh, took a train to get from DC. To yeah, the, yeah. It sounded like it was a bit of a trek, but not, you know. It's like it's probably like an, an like an hour, a couple hours, like to okay. Philly. So taking DC to Philly. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, so. yeah. We, we'll be there. We'll be back. Okay. We'll keep All right. posted well, for sure. We'll... <laughs> cool. So Gretchen, do you have any advice for you know the upcoming artists, um, musician, even you know it's more about the female mm -hmm, musician? Mm -hmm. And you know, our you know, we're trying to just like be the guitarist, right. you know, or be the musician. So, do you have any advice? Yeah. Um, well, I would say the most important thing is just know why you're doing music and make sure that you align your activities with your goals. I think it's really easy now because we are so connected via you know social media and the internet to be constantly kind of peering into other people's windows. And while I think that can be 
uh, inspiring and educational in some cases. I think maybe we could all spend a little bit more time really um, focusing on developing our own identity, you know, n- not spending so much time comparing ourselves to others beyond what is beneficial mm-hmm. to, to our growth. And then I would say that um, don't take, don't, don't think there's shortcuts. Don't fool yourself into thinking there's shortcuts and try to forge your own, your own path. And that path can be anything. The wonderful thing about music is there, there are no rules that you can't break, you know, um, but if you have certain goals, there may be steps that you do need, you do need to follow to reach those goals most effectively. And I guess more than anything, I would just say, try to find a support system, try to find a team, try not to spend too much time listening to compliments or criticisms, you know, look at yourself as objectively as possible and get the feedback from people who believe in you, but aren't blowing smoke, you know, Mm -hmm. try to keep your ego out of it and just always remember why you love music. You know, if you start to get away from that, you know, figure out what you need to do to re-spark that love. And if it means changing goals or changing directions, don't be afraid to do that. That's very good. Yes. Oh, (laughs) wow. (laughs) Or don't listen to any of that if it doesn't sound like it's helpful. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Oh, you're really Uh, cool. (laughs) Thank you. So um, tell the people where we can follow you. And, you know, so then we, we get that first up-to-date thing when, when you're going out on tour again with Zeppelin or your own music, your, your trio, or even, you know, the clinics. That yeah. You do. Um, so everything is really easy because there aren't very many other Gretchen men's. I have an aunt who has the same name <laughs> as I do. And as far as I know, that's oh, the only other one. And you're not going to mistake us for each other. Um, so it's just my website is GretchenMen.com and all of my handles, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, all of that is just, you know, at GretchenMen and YouTube is GretchenMen. <laughs> so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, and yeah, um, I, I post not obsessively, but, you know, I'm, I'm around. I'm findable. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll put all that in the show notes. And wait a minute, you have a TikTok? I do. I do. <laughs> I gotta go with it. <laughs> I, it's like, at first I was like, oh, come on, I don't need another social media. And then I'm like, oh, but you can make fun cat videos and, you know, whatever. So I, I got it very, you know, I don't know, with a lot of skepticism, but I'm like, I might as well at least just get my name, you know. So I posted a couple yeah. things on there, but I, I have not fully embraced it. I, to be honest, I, I feel like there are people where like their, uh, the way they do their, the way they run their music career and business involves a lot of online stuff. So th- th- this mm-hmm. isn't a slam or anything like that, but mm, I don't like to do too much of that myself. Um, I feel like I, mm-hmm. uh, I love studying. I love recording. I love writing. I love playing live. And the online stuff I can do in doses, but it, it can become too much very quickly for me. And, I, and it gets me, mm-hmm. I think, out, out of a, a creative headspace pretty easily, too. So I try to be, I try to self-monitor around that. Yeah, yeah. Understandable. Yeah. Very understandable. Yeah. Well, Gretchen, I want to thank you again, Fret Sisters, and wants to thank you for being on our podcast. This is great inspiring stuff and we will definitely put your music or links to your to your music 
so that everybody can um, go ahead and download it, buy it, and download. And we cannot wait to see you on the road again. Oh, well, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for just like your thoughtful questions and for having me be part of this. It's really such a pleasure. Oh, man, it's our honor. Oh, definitely. And please stay safe. You too. Um, yes, yes. Yay. Thanks, thanks for again. listening. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye.